episode of TV Party tonight. I am filling in at the last minute uh, <laughs> for this particular show. My name is Robert Winfrey, and tonight I have assembled a panel of people. I, ca I can't in good conscience call any of us experts, uh, but we're, we're good-natured enough human beings. We're going to sit around and we're going to talk about the latest entry into the Disney Plus catalog of television members of the MCU, the television series Loki. So before we get too much further, let me let me bring on the panel first, and then I have a thing I want to mention briefly. So joining me for this particular discussion, first up, uh, we have Alexis Haina, fresh, fresh back from Orlando and all of the wonderful sights, sounds, and other experiences that Florida has to offer. Alexis, how are you doing? Yeah, all the sights that it has to offer. Disney World, Megacon, and Daily Thunderstorms. I actually sympathize. We have a, we've got a pretty... I wouldn't say serious, but we've got thunderstorms rolling through where I live at the moment, so that's a lot of fun. Now prepare yourselves, southern states. We got a hurricane coming. I could make a reference, but I'm not going to because I don't know who on this show would get it. All right, we also have a couple of members from the Canadian office joining us for this particular episode. First up, he's... Uh, he's not as shiny now because we're on audio only, and I'll explain why in just a second, but David Wright is here. David... How is your impressive collection of models doing? Uh, about the same as it was before, though I'd like to point out that, you know, not knowing anything about anything doesn't stop anyone else from saying they're experts. That's true, but I would like to bring a little bit of integrity and honesty to the Internet. It won't mean anything, but it'll mean something to me. And lastly, uh, we have also, again, from the Canadian office, we have Andrew Graham. Andrew, how the heck are you? I'm burdened with glorious purpose, but otherwise, well, how are you? Yeah, how's that going for you? Oh, it is somewhat burdensome, but it is glorious at the same time, so it works. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we get into the show proper, the reason I'm hosting and the reason we are audio only for the moment has to do with our uh, esteemed patriarch and fearless leader, Mark Radlich. He was supposed to be hosting this panel. Couldn't make it. Uh, I don't want to go into why because that's his business, and he will make that public if and when he chooses to. Couldn't make it tonight. I don't have access to the Streamlabs portion of this, the uh, video hosting site, so we're audio only, and that's why we're here, It's and that's why I get to host. So instead of being a purely cantankerous contrarian dedicated to explaining all the ways that this show is stupid, and I have some of those, I have to be a professional and host a discussion instead of simply contribute to it. So I will be uh, hopefully in a more, hopefully a more engaging version of myself. Uh, but yeah, as far as Mark goes, uh, if any of you out there could, you know, spare a thought or a prayer for him, if you're the praying kind of person, always appreciated. And Mark should be back uh, as soon as he is able to. Uh, and normally I wouldn't, 
think twice about mentioning why he's not here, but he hasn't made it public in any other forum. We know, but we're, I'm not going to go into it until I see him do something other than a message to those of us in, uh, you know, behind the, uh, behind the scenes, so to speak. For what so, it's worth. Did you know he has not been pruned yet? <laughs> for what it's worth, we're not sure when Mark will be back, and we're not sure how this is going to affect the future schedule of uh, the Rattelich and Broadcasting Network. So for the few who actually do pay attention to the schedule when we post it and make our announcements, there might be some alterations coming up here in the near future. We honestly aren't sure at the moment, but if there are, please bear with us and be patient. The situation isn't exactly fluid, but it is certainly in its plastic state. Yeah, we're, we're currently containing the Nexus event. Yeah, aren't we just? All right. Um, before we get into this, we're going to go episode by episode and be a little bit brief with these because we don't want to be here for six and a half hours debating chain of custody of various artifacts and especially how various timelines work. And I could give... This show bothered me. I have to say this off the... I just have to say this off the top. Because I know just enough about math and the and the like quantum theories and physics involved in everything to know how full of crap <laughs> everything this show says is figures we get a show about time travel parallel dimensions and the such and robert finds a way to pick it apart and say no that's not the way it works I... to be fair though is there any time travel story that actually makes sense in terms of actual physics yes which one i ke- i say this every time this comes up primer If you've, never seen, primer. if you've never seen it, it's a smaller, more indie film, more like independent sci-fi thriller. Um, it, it is the, it is probably the most realistic depiction of time travel you will ever find. Look, there is no way that this show is going to be 100% factual and realistic. Oh, of course okay? not. We are talking about a show with a demigod of Norse mythology basically finding out that while the Avengers went back in time and changed things they were supposed to do that but all the shit that he did was not supposed to happen look the fact is this is a show that pretty much says right from the get go just take it with a grain of salt and enjoy the ride here's my only here's the only standard by which I judge time travel properties at this point are you consistent within your own universe? Like, like, are you internally consistent? That's all I can ask, because I think that's all that's reasonable. And sadly, Loki, I think, fails on a few points there, but that's specifics that we will get into as we get into the show more particularly. Uh, so, let's just do this real fast. So, around the horn, starting with the Ale- uh, same order we introed everyone in, so Alexis, then David, and Andrew. 50 words or less. Uh, your expectations as the show... At- your expectations for the show when you started watching it, whether that was live or after the fact binging. I was super excited about this. This was probably the uh, Marvel TV series that was announced pre-world ending that I was the most excited for. Watching the development of Loki as a character has been incredibly fascinating because I don't think even the Kevin Feige had anticipated how crazy popular he was going to become. I still remember the clip of Tom Hiddleston showing up at 
oh god, I don't even remember which Comic Con was. I believe it was the one that um, was before, right before Thor: The Dark World, where he showed up in full costume, walking onto the stage. Might as well have dropped Dwayne Johnson's theme music for when he shows up as far as the roof exploding. And all he did was pull, was extend his arms out and shouted, say my name. And everyone proceeded to cream their spinach. They did some variation on the speech in Germany from Avengers. You know, you were all born to be ruled, all you here in Hall H. And he threw in some Mule and Quim stuff from the, the he basically hit Loki's greatest hits. More or less. But yes, this is a character that the fandom has embraced so wholeheartedly that Ken Fiege, Marvel, and Disney have found they've had no choice but to embrace him and expand his role because we refuse to let Loki go. We want more Tom Hiddleston. We want more of this character. We want to see more of his adventures. This is even if the the comics themselves, we have seen a massive increase in comics featuring the character Loki. We talked recently, uh, Mark and I talked recently about the Vote Loki comic of 2016, plug, plug, and just how popular that became. Hell, I just love that I worked Megacon, and you see people wearing the Loki for President buttons that we saw in the character in the penultimate episode of the series. But when I mentioned, oh yeah, I just read the book, it's great, they all stared at me and said, what book? Either way, I was very much so looking forward to the series and frankly i don't think it disappointed all right david uh yeah so i was expecting like a fun time travel comedy with owen wilson and uh oh, God, owen and wilson. uh tom hiddleston and uh in that respect i was very very disappointed and andrew out of the three that we've gotten so far, I think this is the one that I came into with the least amount, amount of certainty about. I mean, the concept for WandaVision was really out there. The concept for, you know, Falcon and the, sorry, Captain America, Falcon and, yeah, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was, was pretty clear as well. This is the one that you weren't quite sure what they were going to do with it in terms of, of Tom Hiddleston. They had this really interesting aesthetic, which we'll get to it later. I, I think actually absolutely worked for it. And there wasn't a lot about what the storyline was. So I think I was looking Someone forward in, to it. I was also uh, a little curious about, about what was going to be going on. Just about the aesthetic. Someone finally got around to playing the fallout games, I guess. I have not, so I can't comment on it. Uh, for the right. well, I think fallout was more like retro future fifties, whereas this is more like retro future seventies. Uh, fair enough. It kind of mixes in stuff, too. Like, I mean, Miss Minutes is a very kind of 50s-ish, even 30s-ish character. I felt it took a lot of inspiration from Kubrick films. The the red lighting, the way that many of the shots were formatted, it really looked a lot like Kubrick's uh, middle, of the t- middle films, especially with the heavy concept using of browns, reds, and oranges. Uh, I might give you that in terms of the overall kind of color design. Yeah. yeah cer- certainly the, the TVA aesthetic is, is a, one of the strongest points of the show. Like they, they really had a look they were going for and, and they nailed it. All right. So let's jump into this. Uh... Personally, I like the aesthetic because if they tried to make it look too futuristic or whatnot, then the show was going to be horribly dated. Oh, yeah. But... I, 
by having them embrace what is clearly 1970s-style technology, it actually gives it a timeless feel. I apologize for the squeaking in the background. I'm gone for two weeks, and my Labrador has decided that we need to make up all the playtime I missed. Every single minute of it, I'm sure she has it. She she has it properly annotated. Oh, naturally. So yeah, she's. I've been trying to work and run errands, and she has been at my side all day. All right. So episode one. There's only six episodes of this. Uh, episode one picks up pretty much where uh, that that little bit of scene from Avengers Endgame leaves off with Loki grabbing the Tesseract. He winds up in Outer Mongolia, which I kind of chuckled at. Uh, he immediately tries to reform his army by, by scaring the locals, but the TVA, the Time Variance Authority, shows up. And we get our first actor who was in... Lovecraft Country showing up in this particular epi- in this particular uh, series. Uh, so a few of the three of these uh, people show up. One of them, uh, I'll save it. They're able to restrain Loki. They overcome his theoretical powers. They take him back to the they call it the TVA. This weird little place that seems to exist slightly outside of time. Loki is then processed, like you are when you're arrested by any sort of authoritarian dictatorial regime. He's given a sham trial, but he is saved from summary execution by Owen Wilson. Mobius, Mobius. Owen Wilson. I will never for the life of me understand how he still gets work, to say nothing of his brother. Well, for God's sakes, he's not that bad. Actually, I thought he was quite enjoyable in the show. I just mean to say, you can always do better than Owen Wilson. Maybe two exceptions in his entire filmography, if I were to go back through it. Yeah, uh, well, I'd like to remind you when yeah, we... We're, we're doing a review of Loki, not the career of <laughs> Owen Wilson. Like, I'd like to remind you, when we had to go without Owen Wilson, we got Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, I'd accept that. I tend to prefer McConaughey's work. Anyway. He's... All right, all right, all right. Look, you can get the Sorry. all right, so you can get wow. Sorry, I did not like McConaughey's performance in Tropic Thunder because I really thought that that, I mean, that role seemed more tailor-made for Wilson. Well, I, oh, I haven't seen Tropic Thunder, so I, I refuse to see oh. it, in point of fact. Oh, come on, that's a good movie. I so, hate... Loki. Hang on, just briefly. I hate Ben Stiller so much it's physically painful. I cannot watch his films. Don't care what they are. And that's... So I don't criticize Tropic Thunder because I haven't seen it. So Loki. Loki, yeah. He's saved from summary execution by Owen Wilson, who is tracking another variant, which is what these things are. And this is where we get our little bit of exposition about the premise for the show. The Time Variance Authority is the exists after being created by a a trio of beings, at least, called the Timekeepers. These are creatures that oversaw, that observed a, an entire multi-dimensional war where all the different timelines sort of converged and then fought each other and it threatened the destruction of everything. I have problems with this, but for, for a specific word they use, but I'll save that for later because it's more about oh. Kang. Robert, if you keep stopping in the middle... I know, middle, I know, I got it. Lot description, we are never going to end... 
to finish this show. Okay, just go to I Wikipedia know. and I've read got it. it or I've got it. it. I'm not reading it verbatim. This is poorly written, but I've got it. Uh so the TVA is designed to protect what they call the sacred timeline. It is the one true sequence of events leading to utopia, essentially. And their job is to travel where, hither and yon throughout the timeline, fixing things that go wrong when they deviate too much from the acceptable parameters. Loki taking the Tesseract and then escaping and not being brought back to Asgard to stand trial and be present for the events of Thor the Dark World and everything else that leads up to his death is a bit too much outside with the acceptable parameters for them. Mobius talks with him, uh, talks with this particular Loki, and tries to get, tries to figure out who he is, what makes him tick, etc., etc. He shows him the... 8mm film reel of his life, complete with all the footage that Marvel has shot of Loki, including the death of his mother, the death of his father, his own death at the hands of Thanos. This all exists because we need to cram several years of character development into a single 60-minute episode for the sake of getting to Loki as he was at the end of his life rather than as he was at the end of the first Avengers movie. He agrees to help Mobius, and Mobius reveals that we're chasing a variation of you, sir. Alright, as an exposition dump, which is pretty much all this is, I've seen worse. I'll allow for the vast majority of this as it plays out. Uh, David, I'll start with you this time. Thoughts, feelings, impressions, etc.? Yeah, this is a typical introductory episode where it sort of sets the board, it introduces us to the TVA, what it's all about. You know, again, yeah, a lot of exposition, just sort of getting the pieces in play and yeah, giving Loki sort of his his starting motivation which is basically to try and take over the TVA from inside after realizing that since they use Infinity Stones as paperweights, it's probably the most powerful organization in the multiverse. So Just showcasing how limited Loki's understanding of things is. Time so Infinity Stones only work in the universe from which they are spawned. The TVA seems to exist outside the traditional universe. Yeah, but, but you know, even the title of the episode, Glorious Purpose, where Loki's yeah. trying to assert his authority as he sees it over everyone but then at the end kind of realizing that you know you're, you're not all that you think you are uh, you know that, that was that was a nice little character moment i mean yeah of course they rushed through a lot of the uh, character development just by showing him clips of uh, of the mcu beyond avengers we found a highlight uh, cl we have found a highlight video on youtube here you go yeah yeah the, you know it, 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 I can say it, it pretty much establishes it about the only other thing I think of, I, I'm not sure if it was this episode or the next one where Mobius is tracking down the, the mystery variant and he's in the, in the cathedral and you know, he asks the little girl, you know, who, who did this? And she just points up to like a picture of the devil in the stained glass windows. And I just went, it's Mephisto. <laughs> I hate you for bringing I think back. I did too. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, Andrew, your thoughts? I mean, yeah, agreed. Solid, uh, solid first episode. Um, probably a couple things I want to I want to touch on here. I think you know you're right. This is a bit of an exposition dump. I think they did it fairly efficiently. They did it by you know doing that in a little bit of of uh, you know world building as well. You know, bringing in uh, Miss Minutes, played by the ever awesome Tara Strong, to uh, to voice that character and and kind of act as your exposition, uh, Basil exposition on this one. Um, a couple of things I do want to hit on. I'm going to talk about Owen Wilson for a second, so so Robert, forgive me. 
No, no, but he's, <laughs> he's an important part of this show. Whether I find him a useful addition to it or not is immaterial. It's, this is your time, please. Remember okay, when he point. didn't have gray hair? <laughs> <laughs> he was the teenage comedy it. star. So, uh, I mean, he definitely, um, I definitely have limited mileage with him as well as, a, as you know, an actor, I think. Wedding Crashers and the Cars movies, it's only by virtue of me being a little bit of a NASCAR fan, works. That said, and he was probably the one I was also a little bit worried about coming into this series. That said, his kind of, I mean, he's one of those characters that kind of, or one of those actors that basically plays a version of himself in every movie. And his kind of out there, stonerish, detached. Childlike sense of wonder. Childlike sense of wonder really works in this, and it really works playing off Hiddleston's hypercynical Loki. And I think that um, the, the two acts, anytime they're on screen, have really good chemistry, really good back and forth together. So I think I think the choice to, to cast Owen Wilson in this particular role paid off really, really well. The other thing I'm going to comment on, and, and we can, and this can be maybe a theme that we kind of carry forward on as we go with this one, is you know I do agree that we we brought this Loki into a different place. Um, I don't know if even by the end of the series we have the same Loki that showed up in Infinity War. I think to some, I think he's he's definitely different from the one that we saw at the end of of Avengers, but. By the time you hit Infinity War, he was working much more towards genuine selflessness, genuine caring for others. And I think this one's still out out for himself. And I'm also going to say the whole sequence where he pulls off the and I can't remember the name of the actual person who did this, who pulled off the uh, the plane heist is uh, D.B. Cooper, D.B. Cooper, D.B. Cooper. Thank you very much. But that's a great sequence. That was hilarious. That's. I just got to add that that was a moment. My parents do not watch the MCU TV shows. They barely pay attention to the movies. But just mentioning to my dad that they established that Loki was D.B. Cooper. He thought that was hilarious. He just kind of fell over laughing. So it's like, even if you're not a huge fan of the MCU, that is a stroke of genius in that joke. Yeah. uh, Of all the things you could have done with Loki, as far as that goes, yeah, that was that was a perfectly acceptable little uh, reference to reality. Um, And actually thinking about it, so I'm just going to go back to what my initial expectations were. I thought when they were showing some of these things with Loki and not having established any of the variants, I thought this was going to turn into almost more of a heist show. Like do like an extended kind of Ocean's 12 in the MCU with superpower sort of deal, but uh, anyway, just kind of an odd observation. Right, that leads us into episode two, titled The Variant. Oh, sorry, at the end of the first episode, we see a, sha- a shadowy figure version of Loki ambush a few other uh, TVA agents, and this version of Loki is stealing their reset charges. Uh, and has done so for a while, seems to have a bunch of them. Uh, nefarious music, nefarious music, uh, music, nefarious purpose, underscored by dramatic music. So, Loki joins the TVA on a mission to track down the variant. He's figured out a little bit of how they operate. They have to reset branches from the main timeline within a certain time limit. This is a rule they break themselves frequently. Or it becomes too stable in in its differences to actually be pruned effectively. 
Then you get a multiverse, then the whole world collapses. Yeah, then, then existence collapses in and of itself, and we're all turned into a goo of primordial sludge. Uh, so he tries to stall them out on this on this investigation. It doesn't quite work. Uh, this very nearly gets him uh, booted, pruned, as they say. Uh, but Mobius is able to lobby enough on his behalf. Boy, he does a lot of this. I swear, like, half of his screen time is him talking with Renslayer about, come on, just give him one more chance. I know what I'm doing. Uh, anyway, he and uh, Loki and Mobius actually do some detective work. They go through case files. Uh, they you know, try to cross-reference events. And Loki has a bit of a uh, epiphany when he realizes how this variant of him is hiding from the TVA. Uh, the logic here being, if you hide somewhere where everything is about to be destroyed, nothing you do will have enough of an impact on the future going forward to create the variants that the TVA tracks. You could hide out... Get probably one of the best scenes in the series with Loki taking the... Or with them going to Pompeii and Loki just apparently screwing around doing whatever the hell he wants. Yeah, Loki and Loki... In ancient Latin, even. Badly pronounced, but, eh, what are you going to do? Uh, Loki and Mobius go to go to the eruption of Pompeii. Uh, sorry, the eruption of Vesuvius in the city of Pompeii. To kind of prove his theory as a proof of concept. And it works. He is proven correct. Uh, they then use the uh, a bit of the evidence left behind at the aforementioned scene in the cathedral where we're first introduced to Mobius. That is in episode one. That is that's his introduction, actually. Now that I think about it, uh, they find that the confluence of a big enough disaster to ca to be categorized as an apocalypse, cross-referenced with locations that sell this chewing gum that other Loki was giving out, and they come across a superstore in Alabama in the year 2050. They grab a team, they head there, and this goes sideways. Loki winds up confronting variation uh, himself, but this version of himself is more into the enchantment, mind control side of things than he is. They discuss, they scheme together, Loki makes an offer, he because our Loki wants to overthrow the TVA and claim the throne for the greatest power in the universe. Because that's what he perceives the TVA to be. Our other Loki is revealed to be a female, now going by the name of Sylvie. Just, I imagine, for the sake of conversation, for the ease of writing. And Sylvie wants other things. She's not, she's not very specific. Uh... Sylvie activates her series of plans. What she has is a bunch of these um, reset devices that destroy everything in a, in a radius, in everything that is not supposed to be there in a fairly large radius around wherever it's detonated, and this is supposed to reset the timeline in this particular respect. She sends several of these to all different kind of, kinds of points along the timeline, thus scrambling all the available personnel out of the TVA so she can... Head over there with one of the temp pads that is the the device that everyone uses to move around. So she can head back to the TVA headquarters and assault the timekeepers. Loki 
sees her head through one of these portals and decides, yeah, I'm going to follow her, even as Owen Wilson does one of his other shticks, where he runs up and goes, no, Loki, wait. Not the last time we'll be seeing that, either. And we end on that little bit of a cliffhanger. Andrew, I'll start with you on this one. Good, bad, and otherwise. Uh, I mean, again, really solid one. I mean, you know, the sequence in Pompeii is fantastic just because you get to be, you know, have, we'll call it the second most peak Loki moment of this entire series where he's just creating a little bit of chaos. You know, it's effective at, at building the world a little bit, kind of establishing this whole theory of, of you know, I'm going to bring in a, something that they talked about a little bit in um, the last season of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when they were talking about timelines and they talk about ripples, not waves, where you do have some ability of personal choice, but if you take it too far out, that's where you cause your timeline variant. And then that's also, if you do it in certain circumstances where everything gets wiped out, then it doesn't really matter. Um, and then, yeah, we get to see a little bit of an introduction into who we find out is Sylvie. We talk about her power set being a little bit different from what Loki's has been. He does more kind of general illusion and she's got the ability to, to enchant or, or for all intents and purposes, mind control um, individuals, which I guess kind of just build the character a little bit. And then, like I said, it sets up into the next episode well enough. Uh, Alexis? Well, one thing I think it's important to point out is the idea of the character's name being Sylvie is that this is a combination of Lady Loki from the comics and the character of Enchantress, uh, who also went by the name Sylvie. We've seen in the past that the MCU has a talent for combining elements together, similar to how we saw with the some of the uh, Infinity Stones. They combine the Eye of Agamotto with the Time Stone. They combine the Cosmic Cube with the Space Stone. I think this is a good way to help uh, sort of create a unique character, but it's still one that we can get an idea of who she is if you're familiar with the comics if i remember right i think enchantress or a very similar character not that it's necessarily canon anymore did show up in an episode of uh, agents of shield yes she did i i have no idea I, did, I watched like a season and a half of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and then I was out on that. I couldn't stand the acting on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, Loki. <laughs> uh, and I think, David, you're up last for this one then. So, your thoughts on the variant? Uh, yeah, like, in all honesty, like, I, my, my biggest problem with the show is I thought that it, it kind of drags a lot. Like for its runtime, it doesn't seem to accomplish that much. But yeah, certainly watching Tom Hiddleston chew scenery in Pompeii was great. The The solution as to how the variant was hiding was well thought out and well discovered. And yeah, we get a little bit more of the puzzle with starting to find out some of Sylvie's powers and reasoning. And yeah, and then with the fruition of her plan. I, I appreciate that it they're, they're sort of accelerating through time quickly with this. Like we don't have to wait until the end of the show to find out what her plan is. It's just like, okay, you know, her plan has come to fruition. Let's deal with that. Yeah. I, I think you're right about the pacing. This, this whole like show with, feels a little bit like that. Yeah. Like with, uh, with uh, WandaVision, it's sort of, you know, you get to the end of the third episode and you're like, okay, like I, I want to find out what's going on here. And then fourth episode, 
here you go. And then, oh, okay, I understand what's going on now. Ooh, this is interesting. And that kind of, you know, it keeps that momentum up till the end, or at least it did for me. Whereas Loki is just more, you know, like, like when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? You know, like when, when's this kind of show going to start to, to get moving? And, and it kind of does in the middle, but then it doesn't after that, or at least that was my, my feeling on it. That's true. Everyone complained about the pacing of WandaVision and a little bit on uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. All three shows are paced very differently. I feel like uh, Marvel really wanted to make sure that they were reaching all types of fandoms and those who could handle a slow burn like WandaVision and those who wanted everything kind of thrust right away. Yeah, no, no, no when I say slow burn, I want to make make it clear that I'm not talking about like actions and explosions and stuff like it, you know, that, that doesn't always make something more interesting or more fast paced, but just, you know, get me into you the just, story. Michael Bay you know, felt I, a cold shiver run down his spine. When you said yeah. that, you realized that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, well, we all know that he can't tell the difference between special effects and plot points, but uh, yeah, but, but yeah, it's, it's not just, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I, I just want explosions and car chases it's no like i i want like progression in the story i want you know questions to be answered new questions to be set up you know things to change and for me to wonder oh where's where's this all going to go and uh that you know it's with with loki i'm more just like yeah, okay like you know when, when are we going to get to to you know the meat of the show where you know things are are dynamic and and it just kind of putters out a lot Unfortunately for you, up next is episode three. Which has yeah. one of the action sequences in the whole show. 100%. I, I love the closing shot in Lament uh, in this episode. It is it is awesome. It just... there There is a remarkable talent to filming something to make it all look like it was done in a single take. Especially when you realize that the actors were running the entire time around on a green screen. Yeah, it, it it absolutely does take a lot of talent for that on both behind the camera and in front of it. It is, from a technical perspective, that closing bit from this episode is the best thing in this entire show. Like, well, that and Loki singing. Uh-huh. All right, fair oh, enough. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> so, Lamentis picks up where the previous episode left off with Sylvie arriving at the TVA once most of their response squads are now out actively trying to stop her things from detonating and trying to fix whatever goes wrong in the timeline. Uh, she makes an attempt to get through the golden elevator that's supposed to lead to the time lord or keepers, not lords. Although really different show. Different... Same fashion sense. Fair enough. Uh, they are, however, stopped at the elevator by uh, the Judge Renslayer. Loki winds up saving both of their lives by using Sylvie's stolen tempad and teleports them to the moon of the eponymous Lamentus One. It's about to be cr- destroyed by a planet, and this is apparently the, according to Sylvie, this is the worst possible apocalypse of all the apocalypses that ever apocalypsed. And somewhere Oscar Isaacs breathes a sigh of relief that he's no longer the worst. Yeah, I believe she says that this is the apocalypse that it that they are not escaping from. Yeah, the uh, tempad at this point is out of juice, so they can't just you know time warp over to another apocalypse. Yeah, they need to. They so a lot of this is them trying to find a way to repower it. It winds up being broken. There's a lot of walking. There's a lot of talking. 
shenanigans. Bit of drunken shenanigans on a train. They do some go... bit of character building with them talking on the train. Yeah, backstories on that point. So I, I'll, I'm happy to let you guys have, you know, whatever specifics about that you want to discuss in a second. Um, they decide that, well, there's a big spaceship that's supposed to be leaving this place safely, and if we show up and we're able to pilot that to safety, then either we're going to get out safely, or this will be a big enough variation for someone to show up and try to and have to stop us. They arrive at this last spaceport where people are being, uh, where the the Ark, this big spaceship, is preparing to uh, head out. We get our big action sequence, which, as I already mentioned, I act I quite loved. Only to discover that as they're approaching the ship, it is struck by falling debris from this planet, and it blows up, and there is no hope for them or anyone else on this moon. Uh, I already said what I liked about this. This is an episode that feels like it... For me, this needs this episode needed to be about ten minutes shorter. We just didn't need all the... All of the stuff that went into this episode, this wasn't a very well-put-together episode in that respect. The highs are quite good. But there's just too much dead time in this one for me. Uh, Alexis, I believe we're back around to you for our uh, to start off. So, lamentous thoughts, feelings. Well, like I said before, uh, you know, I'm not going to talk again about the final action scene, but I do enjoy the character development that we get from Loki and Sylvie on the train. Even little things like Loki saying that he can't sit backwards on a train. I know people who are like that. It's a motion sickness thing. No, and they, there's just a really great bit where they just kind of sit and talk about their past and where they are. These are two, even though they are both variants of the same character, they're very different characters. And you really just get an eye for what Sylvia has gone through. I mean, this is a well, this this we find out later she was abducted as a child. She has been on the run for who knows how long, and the only places that she could hide were apocalypses. So it's clear that she can't bond with anyone because every time she sees someone, she knows they're going to die. This is the first time she has been with somebody who is either not going to die because he's part of the apocalypse or part of the TVA trying to uh, abduct her. And you can see she's very much so out of her comfort zone of what she's been experiencing all these years. It's really an eye opener. All right, David, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, certainly the bit where we get more of the backstory and the character of both Lokis is the strongest part of this episode, in in my opinion. But other than that, I just found it to be the, I don't trust you. Well, I don't trust you. Well, you screwed up the plan. No, you screwed up the plan over and over and over again. And she's like, okay, like, let's, let's get on, get on with it. You know, like, do, do, do the character development that, okay, now we're at the ship. Oh, we can't get off the ship. Now what do we do? And you know, David, like you say, this was, this oh, was the most draggy of, of, this was probably the most draggy of all episodes for me. I'm with you there. Like I said, the stuff that's good is quite good. I, I like their interactions on the train a little, certainly. I like the final action sequence. It's just the stuff in between. The connective tissue is not that strong here. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, for me, like the whole will-they-won't-they thing in other shows. It's like, oh, of course I know they will, so, like, stop wasting my time. You know, I know where this is going. So it's like, okay, yeah, I get it. They don't trust each other, but they need each other. They're going to they're gonna get along at some point. Let's just, you know, 
let's let, let, let's get going. I've seen I've seen this, you know, so many times before. And Andrew, I'm probably going to come in with the unpopular opinion on this one. Uh, I actually. I'm going to definitely agree with Alexis. I really enjoyed all the interactions on the train. I thought the us having a chance to get to know Sylvie and, and kind of understand where she's positioned relative to Loki and things like that were really good. But anyway, I'm going to go with the, with the counter opinion on this one. I didn't really care for that end action sequence. I think there were, there were a couple things with it. I think, I think the setting didn't work for me in terms of lamentous just because it's like, you know, you just dropped us on a on a random planet when we know there's been apocalypses on other planets that we we know in the MCU that I think we we could have used. It's a little it's a little gray, it's a little dreary to work with and and I just don't know what it is. I mean, even within the frame of Marvel, there's been better one-shots that they've done, I think. You know, I think probably the most comparable one I can think of is maybe that uh the prison fight in uh, Daredevil season 3. And it just it didn't quite work for me in terms of the special effects, the geography, things like that. So I probably like the first three quarters of this episode better than than the last part of it. That's fair. And every it's kind of a running gag at this point, but every seems every Marvel television show has to try and do the one shot take for an action sequence, and I don't think any of them have been able to touch Daredevil in because Daredevil has one of those. In all three of its in all three of its currently existing seasons, and they're all excellent in very different ways, but they're all excellent. And they got better each time, I would argue. They got bigger, certainly. So I, Loki. A, I'm a little bit on the fence about comparing seasons two and three in that respect, but so that's where we end off with the death of all hope. But because there's three more episodes, all hope can't die. Episode four, the Nexus event, Sylvie and Loki. Here, Sylvie actually explains how she escaped the TVA as a child. We get, actually get some confirma- a little bit more confirmation about what she's been going through. Mobius is trying to find Loki because, uh, and the variant, because of course he is. He also feels a little bit betrayed by his Loki instead of the... Uh, instead of Sylvie. And they're trying to find them, but they can't. They're... They've, they've, you know, got all of their equipment tuned to the highest possible frequencies, but they still can't find anything because this whole moon is supposed to be destroyed. So, eh, sucks to be you. But then Sylvie and Loki kind of sit down and hold hands and... Stare into each other's eyes longingly and move closer together. And when a variant loves a variant, another variant very much... And apparently this unholy combination of desperation, narcissism, and hormones creates enough of a Nexus event for the TVA to track them and show I This is the only thing I'm going to say about this before I finish the plot. This is the dumbest ass-pull deus ex machina crap that I've seen in a long time. This is, the, this is ridiculous. This is absolutely, mind-numbingly, insultingly stupid. But they are saved. They're saved because they're the main characters. Um, Moby is feeling betrayed. Talks with... Uh, oh, sorry. Here's the other thing that we've learned over the, in Lamentus. Uh, apparently everyone at the TVA is in fact a variant. And every time that uh, Sylvie has been able to poke into someone's head, 
she has to break through all a bunch of uh, conditioning or magic or technology or some combination thereof to get to their real memories outside of what took place in the TVA. And so everyone in the every one of the agents and whatnot is a is themselves a variant that have been repurposed. They were not created for glorious purpose by the Time Lords, keepers, whatever. I don't care. And this is uh, supposed to be a big reveal. Loki tells this to Mobius. Mobius laughs him off and sticks him in a time loop where Lady Sylvie shows up and constantly kicks him in the dick. They're not or sorry, something he did to her. Let's have a time. flashback to Lucifer based on that scene. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't watch yeah, they, Lucifer. They <laughs> okay, in Lucifer, when you are sent to hell, you are literally forced to replay your worst nightmares over and over and over again in a time loop. I That's, think it's like the mo- the moment of your biggest regret. Yeah. Something like that. It's a fairly common interpretation of hell. Yeah. So yeah. I would point out you're not forced to. Like, that's the real nasty bit. The doors are all unlocked. You could leave at any time, but no one ever does. Yeah, it's something about coming to peace with what you, de- what you did. And, and But to the point that we've seen so far, only one person has ever done that. But, yeah, the idea that... And, again, really great character development with Loki that he... He's stuck where he gets ladies, where he cut Lady Sif's hair, adorably childish. And he tries so hard to figure out a way to get out of it. He, you know, tries to overpower her. He tries to apologize. He tries playing on, uh, you know, her sympathy. He tries so much to get out of it. And you can see that it really is starting to bother him after all. You know, he tries to be like, oh, I don't care what you say. But no, he does. He absolutely does. And that's the reason why he was stuck there. And by the time Mobius comes and gets him, he's practically broken. Uh, around the same time, the uh, Sylvie is dis- she had briefly mind controlled another agent, uh, but who has the designation of B fifteen. Uh, this uh, this is this was Ruby from Lovecraft Country, who is now starting to have now that her mental programming is starting to break. She's like, wait a minute, what was? What was real and what wasn't she and Sylvie go have a little odyssey where Sylvie destroys all of the mental barriers to who she was and where she actually comes from. Uh, Let's see. Mobius talks with Renslayer again, steals her tempad and finds out that one of the previous, uh, what do they call them, hunters? One One of the previous TVA officials who was, who had been mind controlled by Sylvie had actually had this same that same thing happened. Her false memories were broken down. She remembered who she really was and had to be pruned because of it because we can have no variation. We've always been at war with Eurasia. Uh, the secret must be maintained. Nice George Orwell reference. <clears throat> well, it seems appropriate given that given what the TVA actually is, but... <laughs> Uh, so Mobius rescues Loki from his eternal ball-busting hell. Uh, they're immediately ambushed by Renslayer and a few of the other people, but Sylvie and B-15 show up. Big fight. They're able to finally get to the lair of the Timekeepers, the three great floating triumvirate beings, only to discover they're not even Paul Bettany-level androids. They're Disneyland animatronic androids. I was going to say Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's? Is what the difference? <laughs> Deal. 
Well, I was going to go with Disneyland because, you know, who, who owns this? So Wally the Weasel shows up and starts singing. Six little chickens at the end of the line. Six little chickens. It's a small timeline after all. It's a small timeline after all. <laughs> Darn right it is. Um, Loki and Sylvie have a Loki and Sylvie have a brief heart to heart. Loki is then pruned. Sylvie grabs Ren Slayer and demands the truth. Mid credit scene: Loki wakes up somewhere surrounded by other variations on himself. Hey, hey, hey Andrew. I was saying that's the moment where the fandom went nuts. Yeah, Andrew, they should have they should have saying it's a sacred timeline after all. Yes, they should have. Yeah, if but still, have, good good point. If they don't, they have to make a Christmas movie with Tim Allen. <laughs> you would not believe how many people at Disney World actually didn't know that joke. It's a but the Santa Claus three. Seriously, a... every time I talk to somebody who mentioned that their kids were running off, I said, better be careful. If they get caught, they're going to be forced to make it. Yeah, I said that exactly, and they just stared at me. I'm like, oh, dear God. It's just a Family Guy <laughs> reference from probably the last season. Family Guy wasn't just complete ass. For the record, I refused to ride the Small World ride, not only because I didn't feel like blowing my brains out from insanity from the song, but I happen to be too sarcastic of a person, and I probably would start adding my own lyrics to that, and I know that would get me kicked out of the park. Uh, I think everyone has to go on at once, and you only have to go on at once, and then the next, then you know, whoever the next generation you take, you get to send them through on their own, or go with them if you're feeling. Because I went through Small World in Disneyland the first time I went when I was a very small child. And then a few years ago, my when my brothers were old enough, we all went on a family vacation, and my poor, like early teenage youngest two brothers, like, oh, it's a small world, yeah, let's go ride it. And I'm all right. And they got off and went, what the hell was that? So Loki. So who on to Disney World or Disneyland? Uh, land. I've only been to land. It's uh, geographically closer. So Loki. Yeah, David, let's start with you on the Nexus event. What do you what do you got? This was the episode that kind of saved the show for, for me and my wife. Like, it was after episode three, it was like, oh, geez, should I watch any more? I mean, I was going to because, you know, podcast. This was one was like, oh, now we have some intrigue. Now we have things happening. New, new allegiances are being formed. Things are coming to light. You know, and, and then, then you get the big surprise of, of the timekeepers not being real it's like well where's this gonna go and holy smokes they just pruned mobius you know and then loki at the end so yeah this one really got the ball rolling where this sort of feels more like the inciting incident of the story itself so yeah i got to the end of this one and i was just like i want to i want to find out what happens next you know what what's going on here why isn't loki dead where is he why are there other lokis so yeah good Kudos to them there. Good episode. I very much agree with with Dave. I think um, you know this definitely moved this, the the story forward. It, it did break things up a little bit going between a couple of different locations. I'm rewatching the the bit with Sif right now, and it's really funny. I think uh, Jimmy Alexander's been a little bit of a, an underused commodity in the MCU. I'm glad she's coming back for the next Thor movie. Robert Hold, you're you're cringing for any reference of that movie, but uh, but yeah, it did move everything forward. I will say, just kind of comparison to, to three and four, 
I actually like the fight scene towards the end of four a little bit better than I like the the one shot they tried in three, but it worked really well. And then we get the uh, the uh, preview of the new variants. Alexis? Sorry, I had to put something away there. Yeah, I, I like I said, I already mentioned about the idea of Loki being stuck in his own personal hell with Sif. I predicted from the beginning that the timekeepers, when we saw him, it was going to be a pay no attention to that man behind the curtains situation. I have this distinct feeling something like that was going to happen. And like I said, when the Lokis at the end show up, it was hilarious how big the fandom just blew up. It did not take any time at all for people to capitalize on these new versions of Loki, especially Alligator Loki. Like I said, I just worked MegaCon, and I have been putting together a graphic here. I have at least nine different cosplayers who did dress as Loki. And let's see here. Let me back up laptop. One, two, three, four, five of them either had stuffed alligators or dressed as stuffed alligators, or, and this is my personal favorite, we have a woman in a wheelchair dressed as Loki, and she decked out her service dog to look like Alligator Loki, to the point that she has a bloody hand hanging from his collar and a patch on the side where it, you, you are, it always says, you know, service dog, don't touch. It says, please do not pet the variant. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Very good boy. <laughs> Like I said, just the minute we all saw that, I loved how the fandom blew up. I personally got crazy excited about seeing Richard E. Grant in the classic Loki costume. Not only is Richard E. Grant an amazing actor, but if you've ever had to suffer through Hudson Hawk, you know that he is one of the greatest overactors of all time. That man chews scenery so thoroughly that you're going to need to send him to the dentist to get it picked out of his teeth. And seeing Boy, him in the... He. Yeah, yeah, and to see him in that classic comic book costume, I was just like, oh my god, this is going to be priceless. Yeah, spoiler for next episode, but I think the, the reaction to him was, could, could we have a Loki show with him as the star? I love how every time he performs magic, he flourishes his cape and he wipes it all over the place again. It's, like, it's clear the director just told him, do what you do best. Okay, just just go. <laughs> was so great. Right, that does set up our penultimate episode, number five, Journey into Mystery, where we start off with Renslayer telling Sylvie that Loki was pruned, but when you're pruned, you don't actually die. You are sent to the void at the end of time, from which nothing has ever returned. Nothing in heavy quotation marks there. Uh... Renslayer at this point is a, having a little bit of a kind of crisis of her own. She's always kind of aware that she's a, she's aware that she's a variant, but she's so committed to the cause here, and she actually believes in the mission of the TVA that she's struggling a little bit to figure out you know, what she wants to do. So she and Sylvie have a little bit of a heart to heart. This is of course also just a stalling tactic on the part of Renslayer, but they figure out that. The TVA's true creator, while not the timekeepers, they were just crappy robots, must exist behind the void at the end of time. And we all collectively roll our eyes a little bit, but okay. Um, that all winds up 
very badly when a bunch of other TVA agents show up and Sylvie prunes herself. Meanwhile, Loki has started hanging out with the other Loki variants, the aforementioned classic Loki, Kid Loki, Black Loki, and Alligator Loki. They show him a little bit around the void at the end of time, which looks a lot like a field. Uh, there and is a uh, Shall we mention the cameo oh, billions of them. star in the dirt? There's so many cameo. There's so many Easter eggs in this. You not only have the Thanos copter, you have Puddle Glum. Those unfamiliar with that? That is Frog Thor, which is a canon creature. It is a he used to be a, the original frog, Thor, used to be a man that was turned into a frog that then picked up a chunk of Mjolnir that was broken off during a battle and was worthy to become Frog Thor. He is now Throg. And he half leads and is a member of the Pet Avengers, which again, I'm sure is a spinoff we're about to get. And apparently voiced by Chris Hemsworth. God bless him for... God bless the man for cashing the check. <laughs> Probably when they brought him in to record his lines for what if they're all like, so can we just get you to sound like you're real, like you're trying to break out of something? <laughs> just like have those in the back, have those in the back pocket ready to go. And if you could Is this for like a goofy a... comedy scene? Uh, sure. If, then yes, if, I accept. And if you could think like a frog, that would help. <laughs> hey, you know what? I've seen Chris Hemsworth do comedy. He probably would have fully embraced saying, yeah, I could think like a frog. He was the funniest person in the entire stupid Ghostbusters reboot. By a wide margin. Agreed. He's a, He can do comedy. He absolutely can. Uh, anyway, the Lokis then also show off Galactus. Hey... Because the entire because at this point I'm fairly I'm gonna call it Galactus. Its actual name is I can't actually pronounce Alioth, Alioth, something like that. Uh, I'm calling it Galactus because I just choose to believe that at some point the TVA pruned the entire Fox-owned portion of the MCU, and this is where that version of Galactus went. Uh, it is the creature that devours everything that lands here, more or less, and all the Lokis talk about how great they are. We meet more Lokis, because the Lokis, of course, cannot trust each other, because they're all Lokis. A big fight breaks out between all the various Lokis, while Classic Loki, Alligator Loki, and Kid Loki, along with our, Vic, along with our Loki, all escape because Loki wants to fight past... Galactus and find whatever exists beyond him. Around this same time, Sylvie lands somewhere and is rescued by Mobius driving the Pizza Planet delivery truck from the Pixar franchise. We also get a gigantic middle finger to the Vote Loki comic book. Mark and I again talked about this, but it goes without saying, teasing that brief scene in the trailer and then having him just as a throwaway line was very disappointing. Although his uh, reaction on seeing Alligator Loki was great. <laughs> I was like, why is there an alligator in here? Everyone, he's a Loki! Can't you see the horns? <laughs> yeah, I'm, anyway. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure Vote Loki is sitting next to Quicksilver, both contemplating how, how sad their lot in life is. Where it all went wrong. 
Yeah. Um. Anyway, Sylvie and Miles Teller, not him and Cyclops, but actually Miles Teller. How dare you? <laughs> hey, I put him in the place with a giant cloud no. beast. So Stop. be happy about that. No. You have now put Miles Teller and Owen Wilson in the same place at the same time. How dare you? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, yeah, Robert, it isn't very fun when people say bad things about actors you like now, is it? What's I don't like either Miles of them. Teller? I'm sorry, did you see Whiplash? That, I saw everything after Whiplash, too. Yeah, I was going to say, Robert, since, since you put he, it out there, I have to introduce this. In that case, you're really, really lucky that as part of the the remaining survivors in the uh, the void, that Deadpool wasn't one of them. Don't care. I wanted Chris Hemsworth there as uh, Johnny Storm. Not Hemsworth. Sorry, I wanted Chris Evans there as Johnny Storm. Like that would be, be awesome. He won't be Captain America again, but he'll do a cameo as Johnny Storm. <laughs> and look, Miles. I don't like Miles Teller. He is a human block of wood. He gets by in Whiplash because J.K. Simmons carries that thing more than he does. And I have, I am perpetually baffled by his ability to get work. He must have dirt on somebody. So, Loki. So, to close this particular episode, Sylvie wants to enchant Galactus. Loki decides to help out. Classic Loki does the very traditional leave in heroic return where he distracts Galactus with a fake Asgard. That was he, easily the best visual effect in the entire series. Good thing Probably. they didn't delete the model. Uh, so Galact well, Galactus is attacking that. He gets enchanted. Uh, classic Loki dies, but our Loki and Sylvie are able to enchant the creature and magically transport through its digestive system somehow or some such into the citadel beyond the void which is where our last episode will take place for the most part all right so episode five journey into mystery david good bad and otherwise uh so yeah good as for as mentioned uh, the original loki was just priceless uh they, they had a lot of fun playing with the loki variants though again they could have I think done a lot more with that, and yeah, I, I echo. I, I haven't read the the Loki comic, but certainly seeing it in the in the trailer, I thought, oh, that could be cool. Like Mobius and uh, you know Loki get transported through time, and things go south, but then Loki ends up running for president, and there's you know a funny banter off of that, and Loki doesn't want to leave or something along those lines. It's like yeah, that that could be a fun and interesting story. So just to find out that oh, it was just a throwaway throwaway gag much like kind of the db cooper thing was just used as a flashback it didn't actually play into the plot of the show that's what mark and i thought when we discussed the comic we honestly thought seeing that scene in the trailer that loki was going to escape the tva and then they were going to catch up with him and he is and he has entered the vote loki universe yeah something like that like a bit of a back and forth between Mobius and Loki and a bit of bouncing the comedic stylings off of them. Cause obviously like Owen Wilson makes a better straight man in this case, whereas reacting to sort of Tom Hiddleston's antics as, as Loki, but you know, that, that, that could be fun. But you know, again, that, that wasn't what we got. Um, but yeah, as for the episode, yeah, the, the, the whole Loki sacrifice thing, that was by far the best, uh, you know, it's a bit convenient how, Mobius just happens to find Sylvie. Uh, certainly, the, the the a bit more exposition of how pruning works, I thought was uh, 
was good. And even Sylvie kind of realizing that, uh, okay, they're playing me with this time ship thing. It's time to time to change strategy. You know, it's like, you, know, you, you got to be pretty, pretty good to uh, pull a fast one on a low key. You know, any low key. Um, other than that, like, I, I, I like the bit where, uh, where, where Mobius is sort of saying, you know, like, you know, you can't throw a rock around here without hitting a low key. And then you see Loki standing there and he kind of just shrugs his shoulders like, yep, can't argue with that. Uh, Andrew? I definitely enjoyed it. You know, lots of action in this one, lots of interesting stuff. I think the playing around with all the various versions of Loki are great. Richard E. Grant's classic Loki, I think, you know, universal praise. Um, if you ever want a really funny gay, go check out his Instagram. He's got a post about 40 years as, a, as an actor, and, and uh, his father had already made comments about him, uh, him ending up in tights, and what would he think about him being in that costume? Um, Probably feels better than Orson Welles' last gig. One would assume. No. As far as I could tell, it was a movie about children's toys doing very horrible things to each other. <laughs> but yeah, it definitely works. Sets up the, you know, sets up the moving towards the Citadel into the last episode quite well. Um, overall, really enjoyable. Alexis? Okay, there's two things I want to discuss. Firstly, I want to ask you guys, when we see President Loki, he's got a bunch of followers with him. Do you think that those were other Loki variants, or were they just people who had been pruned that President Loki had managed to sway into becoming his followers? They're all More Lokis. Lokis. You think so? That could be followers, because again, Lokis positive. don't seem to get together. Well, see, that's why... That's why the whole thing dissolves at the end, because President Loki goes, and then, you know, uh, and we're here to take over. you. And one of the other Lokis goes, yeah, but you can't trust a Loki, and then they all turn on each other. Like, it's, there might, I'm pretty sure they're all Loki variants. I was talking with someone at the convention about this. We noticed one of the followers, probably the most prominent one, is wearing a helmet with, I'm guessing it's like bicycle handles duct tape onto it to simulate the horns and we talked about how that wouldn't be something you would probably see on a loki that's something that a fanatic follower would do you know it's like see see i got the horns too see i'm just like you so that was what kind of kick-started that conversation look if the or alligator loki desperately misses his helmet yeah like look they put alligator horns they put horns on the alligator anyone can be a loki Fair enough. The second thing I want to talk about is the reveal of who was actually at the end. This episode was filled with, a, again, with a lot of Easter eggs, but specifically a lot of Easter eggs about the character Kang the Conqueror. And going in, I wanted so badly to see that Kang was there. But after the, uh, you know, the buildup of, is it Mephisto from WandaVision that I think we've all discussed prior, I was sitting there going, no, Marvel's not going to do this. So tell me, did you guys think that we were going to see someone big or was this going to be or did you think it was just going to be another Loki in the Citadel? Who did you genuinely think we were going to see there? I was not sure. Uh, yeah, it, it being another Loki was definitely a possibility, but yeah, you know, I, I didn't pick up on any of the Easter eggs, mostly because I'm not familiar with Kang the Conqueror. So it was just I was just like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I wonder what they're going to find. Who will it be? Will it be Miss Minutes? Sort of, will it be someone else? Will it be a Loki? So I, I was generally, you know, curious because I had no idea really who, who it would be. 
I was actually thinking it might end up, might have been Miss Minutes. Um, I knew it was Kang because I knew it was going to be Jonathan Majors back there because they had already announced him as part of the cast, and they announced that when they cast him, they gave his name, they gave the name of his character. It was I forget the first name, but the last name is Richards. One well, of the. In- on IMDb, he's simply credited as he who remains. I know this was when they announced. Like this is when they announced it. This is not his official crediting, as far as that goes. When they announced who he was cast at, who, when they announced Jonathan Majors coming in, they said he was going to be. I forget where this came from, but it was it was something mostly official. Like it wasn't just fan speculation. He was anou- They said he was going to be playing. Uh, Again, I forget the first name, but last name Richards, and one of the identities of Kang the Conqueror is a l- far, is a far-flung descendant of Sue and Reed Richards. I believe it's Nathaniel Richards. Thank you. Uh, that, yeah, that Nathaniel Richards. That's what he was announced as. Thinking... Being cat. Like, okay, if you've announced this guy, and this role for this series, and he hasn't shown up yet, there's literally only one more place he can be. I have to admit, I didn't recognize Jonathan Majors at first. All I've known him from was Lovecraft Country, and he plays a completely different character in that. To see this see this actor just kind of giggling and jumping around a little bit, as opposed to way, the way we saw him as Atticus in the previous show, he's not recognizable, which is a credit to how good of an actor he is. Poor guy. He just This is what happens when you let yourself be sacrificed by the nice little white woman who just slits your throat and has you bleed out. You wind up stuck at the Citadel at the end of time and eating an apple waiting for Loki variants to show up. All right, so as for... As for the last episode, for all time, always, Renslayer and Mobius have a little bit of a confrontation, which goes badly for Mobius, but Renslayer doesn't kill him. She has decided that she wishes to go find Free Will, whatever that means. I, oh, God. Save it. I can save it. Um, that's that's basically all they do. Um, B-15 is showing people that Renslayer's a variant by bringing uh, other, hun- other TVA agents to the high school in the Sacred Timeline where the real version of Renslayer is a teacher. Uh, the meat of what goes on in this particular episode takes place at the aforementioned Citadel at the end of time. Loki and Sylvie walk in, they briefly they talk briefly with Miss Minutes, who tries to bribe them away from a confrontation with... I'm just going to call him Kang. She calls him he who, must, he, he who Remains, and there's all kinds of other names for him. Anyway, they meet him, and Sylvie tries to kill him, because she's angry at what happened to her for entirely justifiable reasons. Uh, but she can't kill him. He's one step ahead, pretty much literally. He then does his best impression of the architect from the second Matrix movie and dumps exposition on them. He actually has character and personality, so it, doesn't, it actually feels like it actually is interesting. doesn't feel like something we need to write down for a test. It helps that what he's referencing is... BS second grade level physics, whereas what the architect references is actual computer science. Uh, it, it, for the record, if you don't know any, if you know anyone who's a computer scientist or does work with computers, 
watch that scene with with Neo and the Architect again with them, and watch how a computer scientist reacts to that sequence because it makes perfect sense to them. If you're if you're you know a normie, then you just kind of go, why are you still talking? <laughs> um, Ergo, vis a vis. Yeah. So Kang explains what's up. There, a long time ago, in the future, millions of years ago, in the beginning. Uh, God, sorry. Bad reference to Aqua Teen Hunger Force. There was, there came a point in time in the 31st century where he, Kang, discovered the existence of alternate realities, parallel universes, different timelines, etc., whatever you want to call them. And around the same time he discovered all this, all of them discovered this as well. They found ways to interact with each other and communicate, and they talked, they laughed, they loved, and then somewhere along the line, at least one of them was a jerk and started a fight. And then this fight spilled over into an infinite cascading amount of realities combining and destroying each other and trying to defend themselves and blah, 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 blah. What led to the end of this was Galactus. Not the real Galactus, but the fake Galactus that exists in the Void at the end of time. This being somehow came into existence due to all the monkeying with the timeline and the constant tears between realities. And Kang was able to weaponize it and commit a war crime the scale of which the English language cannot do justice to by wiping out every possible reality except one that he now from this from this place outside the flow of time watches and curates to make sure that he is the only possible kang that could result from it thus preventing the cascade of kangs however being alone in the citadel at the end of time where time does not flow and you have no friends, he's tired of all of this nonsense and he now presents to the Lokis the option. You can either take over the TVA and continue to oversee the pruning of the timeline to make sure that nothing bad really happens, or that nothing catastrophic happens, or you can kill me and everything spirals out of control. Uh, Sylvie is like, cool story, and wants to kill him. Loki decides, how about we just take a second and think this through? Time's not flowing here. We could discuss this before you do anything that can't be taken back. Sylvie says, no, get out of my way. This man is lying. This is clearly not, this is clearly not true. Uh, they have a fight. Loki, I'll save it, I'll save it, I'll deal with it in a minute. Loki is ultimately shoved back through a tempad by Sylvie, who then stabs Kang through the guts. Kang just kind of winks at her and goes, Well, guess I'll see you soon, won't I? Meanwhile, back at the TVA headquarters, this has now caused a catastrophic series of branches to break off from the main timeline. Loki arrives at a different version of the TVA, where no one knows him. And Mobius says, okay, that's great. You know, that's a cool story you're making, but who are you? And he sees that this version of the TVA is one that 
we all knew was founded by some variant of Kang because there's a giant Kang statue. And I wanted to throw things. Um, God. I'll, get to, I'll get to my complaints in a second. Alexis, let me start with you. What do you got? I don't get where your negativity comes from because I was squeeing through so much of this. Again, love seeing Jonathan Majors playing such a different character to what I saw in Lovecraft Country. I honestly did not realize it was him at first. I had to go and I was like, wait a minute, is that? And I had to go on to IMDb to confirm it. I loved his speech. Again, he actually has personality and character. So when he's talking about this, it doesn't feel like homework. You don't feel like, oh my God, just get to the point. You get to the point. He points out he has everything that they're going to say written down. And he shows it to him how everything is predicted. But then he gets to the point where he has explained all of this and the script ends. And he is actually saying, going, wow. I don't know what's going to happen. And he's, he's giggling, but it's a kind of an effort. It's like an anxious giggle. He's going, he's nervous. He's, he's like, I, I genuinely don't know what's going to happen. This has never happened to me. This is kind of interesting. You know, you can complain all you want about Loki and Sylvia's romance. And yeah, I have heard it, but yeah, she, he has essentially decided it's not so, he just wants to keep her safe. But Sylvie is a character, she, like I said before, she has spent her whole life in apocalypses. She does not know how to really trust someone. All she has had is this hatred for the person who started the TVA, who abducted her as a child, and who has completely ruined her life. No matter how much she may care for Loki now, and it's clear she does, she is unable to move past that. And I don't care what you say, those final words from, as you put it, Cain the Conqueror, the see you soon, that was haunting. But what this show does and what this finale does most of all, and what I think is the best part of this, is that this gets you excited for the next wave of MCU films. We now have a clear understanding of where we're going with the multiverse of madness with Doctor Strange, with all the theories about Andrew Garfield and Tony McGuire and Alfred Molina showing up in the next Spider-Man movie. Have you heard? Did you hear what Kevin Feige said about that? Which one? They're not even releasing a trailer for No Way Home. Wow. We need to. Uh, again, now, Mark... is that is that legit, or are they just not releasing it because they have no idea when they're going to release it at this point? I. They, I believe the line that I heard was, we can't show you any of this without giving it away. See, oh, that's, wow. that's the thing. People tend to forget that Marvel is really careful about not spoiling anything. That's why and we had to wait hired, so- And yet they hired Andrew Garfield. <laughs> or, sorry, they hired Tom Holland. <laughs> Fair enough. But, I mean, this is why we didn't get anything for Spider-Man Far From Home for so long, because there was no way you could reveal that without spoiling the end of Avengers Endgame. There, I have friends who have been. I literally have. I'm friends with another reviewer on Facebook who has decided that every day until Marvel finally acquiesces, he is going to post an angry tangent on Facebook and Twitter and tag them about how he doesn't have a trailer. And I have to keep pointing out to him: Have you ever considered that maybe something in Shang Chi or something in the Eternals is going to spoil that? But still. Well, this really, is what I've been led to believe that only takes about six years to work. I always love that, like a year out from something being released, everyone's just like pouring over every facet of the internet to 
find information on what could possibly happen. But then the week before it comes out, nobody give me spoilers or you're dead to me forever. I know. Like, pick one. I would love it. Just like one of these things where someone's like, so what's going to happen in uh, Avengers? The next one is like, well, since you ask, and he just like reads the whole script there, there you go. That's all what you wanted. Happy 100- now. hundred percent would. Uh, I would love that if somebody had the balls to do it. But either way, like I said, this is get, this gets the fans excited. This is something that we watched, we cheered at the end, especially the idea of Kang the Conqueror. We knew that we were going to get him in the next Ant-Man and Wasp film. But one of the big things fans have been clamoring for is we want to know who's going to be the next big bad of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Who's replacing Thanos? Is it going to be Kang or is there someone else coming along who's going to be worse? We are so excited about this. And this ending is just chock full of cliffhangers expectations and so much fun and i loved it all right andrew thoroughly enjoyed it i very much agree with what alexis just said one thing i'm gonna i'm gonna expand upon a little bit is i think going to the whole idea of introducing he who remains slash king as as the new character and and i'm gonna be perfectly honest i'm not familiar with him from a comic book point of view but I've kind of inadvertently run into him through another YouTube reviewer, Movie Bob, doing some extensive review and speculation on a lot of this stuff. Is actually more as it relates to the Eternal. So him showing up in Loki was a bit of a surprise, but I think there's an interesting way of Marvel going about this because very much they're hitting the reverse approach on what they did with Thanos, where it's like, oh hey, it's the smiley guy at the end of Avengers, and you kind of get clips of him until you get basically his story arc in Infinity War. And this one starting off is we're going to show you an aspect of him or, you know, a variant, obviously, if we're, we're using the terminology. But here's the actor. Here's at least one version of him. And he's scared to death of what might be coming next. And I think that's a really effective way of setting up for, for what this character is going to be doing down the line. Um, I think, as Alexis said, you know, this, this is... Admittedly, an exposition exposition dump, but a really effectively done one. His performance is really good. His affect is really good. Um, it all works there. I think the the you know the the conflict there at the end and the choices between Sylvie and Loki are are really clear, and they are influenced by character. I mean, Sylvie just wants to kill this guy. Loki wants to he either wants to be with Sylvie or control the universe or both. So you're still kind of pulling back to those those uh, character wants and needs by the end of it. And, you know, yeah, we're doing a little bit of a, you know, kind of rote cliffhanger of him going to another version of the TVA for the start of the next season. But you know what? It works for me. And David. I think your knowledge of the comics really makes a huge difference with how you view this series especially this ending point because for me I, I i didn't connect any of those dots again i didn't really have any idea about kang the conqueror i knew there was some character named kang the conqueror but like it, it just wasn't a big deal to me like whereas if it was something like oh here's you know victor von doom who wouldn't be in this situation but if they you know introduced dr doom like oh wow we're getting dr doom like one of the big villains this this is getting interesting now um so for me it was just like okay they travel to the end of time and they find some guy chewing the scenery. Okay. And he gives them the choice, run the TVA or kill me. 
which will basically reset all the events that led to me being here in the first place. So we'll just get a different version of what I am now. It's like, oh, that's an interesting choice. But yeah, like I didn't I didn't see this as like, holy smokes, this is like where the MCU is going for the next big villain. I just thought, oh, okay, so we're we're introducing multiple timelines so we can have yeah a multiverse of stories which yeah again fine yeah i don't i don't mind that there's some interesting stuff you can do with that uh i was almost thinking like when they were doing the whole loki sylvie romance causing a a branch that they couldn't re- repair a so quickly force, if you will something like that is like okay so so basically like we have the tva which is basically serving to enforce continuity, you know, like this has to happen, this has to happen, this has to happen. And anything that goes against that happening is no, not canon and must be destroyed. And then you have, you know, Loki falling in love with female Loki. So we basically have Loki, Loki slash fic going on. Gender swap Loki's, you know, slash That fic. was already a thing. <laughs> oh yeah, I know that was already a thing. That's, that's what I was getting at. It's like, so I think like, my, my post to the thread was like, so apparently like slash fic destroys continuity could be the point of, <laughs> of the Loki series. And I kind of thought that would be like a more interesting thing to do with the shows, like sort of like make it about continuity versus, you know, what ifs and multiverse and other storyline possibilities and, you know, how fans relate to that in one way or another you know you'll have like the purists who are like no 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 it says here an issue whatever from this run that this happened therefore anything that goes against that cannot happen and that's not canon and you know it's dead to me and then you have other people just like you know they're they're just comics guys like you know a good story is a good story i don't i don't mind if if they switch stuff up so uh i mean they, they didn't seem to go that way so far but yeah, again, it just kind of seems like it feels strange having that as an ending point because it's almost like, you know, like, it, you know, it, it almost feels like the Netflix thing where like they just do a season and then they just chop it in half, and the first half of the season is season one, then the second half is season two. A little bit. Um, yeah, so like I can't say like I hated Loki, but it was definitely not what I was expecting to get from the promotional material and who was involved. And you know that sometimes that happens, right? You 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 are expecting one thing, you get something different, and that sort of clouds your ability to assess it on its own merits. Like I don't think it's terrible. It's obviously it has its fan base. I will come back and watch more, and come back for when we review the next segment. But yeah, I just kind of I kind of got through this show, and I was like, oh, that that was it. Not not a whole lot happened uh, for for me. But uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. All right. Um, I should go out there and say really quickly that that Loki kissing a variant of himself being Selvi is the most Loki thing that Loki could possibly do. Yeah, look, Loki is absolutely a narcissistic enough character that the only person he could actually fall in love with is some version of himself. Yeah, I think Mobius says something like that when they bring him back, talking about the Nexus events. It's like, oh my god, it's like... Yeah, it was like you. It's like the only person you could literally fall in love with is your own yourself. Yeah, how narcissistic can you get? Yeah, it's uh, all right. Um, let me get my final thoughts, then I'll go around the horn for you guys. About the last episode in particular, Jonathan. Look, man, Jonathan Major does a good job. He is given very little screen time which I don't think is a bad thing, given the story they're trying to tell. And I'm with Alexis. That 
that little gleeful moment when he says we've crossed the threshold. I know everything that happens up until this point. Now I don't know anymore. And boy, isn't this exciting. Uh, he Sadly, apparently he knew everything except the wisdom of the Ancient One, who, remind, who was very keen to tell Doctor Strange, you can't see past your own death, buddy. Uh, so he... Uh, he does a really good job. I, I really do want to give him credit for what he does. Kudos to him. Uh, it, seriously. I appreciate the development that we get for Loki throughout this season, culminating with him being in a position to claim what I think would be undoubtedly the most power in the universe as it currently stands. And in a moment of, I'm... I tend to think honesty. He doesn't actually want the throne. He wants to make sure that the person he loves, granted himself, is going to be okay at the end of it. And I can appreciate that as the way this character has changed over time. I think that's believable given how they stretched this out. Rushed, yes, but that's a whole other discussion. It it, it does follow logical progression. And so, credit to that. There's a few things about the end of this that kind of that, that don't quite make sense to me because, in no small part, they don't really give themselves a lot of. Uh, they don't really give themselves a lot of uh, rules for how they do this, which annoys me to death. If you're going to monkey around with time travel. I think the rules that you play with have to be established and they then have to be followed. We had time travel established in Endgame and we get some similar, some of those rules followed here, but not all of them. And then we have the rules that the TVA operates by and there's some question about whether or not all of those are followed, not by the TVA, but by the overarching narrative. And that tends to annoy me, but I also pay attention to stuff like that because I can't help it. I'm me. The, I think the thing that bugs me the most about the end of this, about the end of this episode, and then potentially even the end of this season, such as it currently stands, when Loki arrives back at the TVA in whatever variation he winds up in, he seems to have taken the position that the version of Kang he met was right. And somewhat, so a little bit by logical extension, that's kind of what the authors and what the audience are meant to, or how the audience is meant to take it. The main character's expression about what goes on being more or less what the audience is supposed to come to as a conclusion. And I'm just, I'm not sold. I, let me be clear about the following. It makes sense for character motivation for Kang to do what he did. Let me be clear about that. He is not behaving in a way that is contrary to his character, what we're allowed to see of it. But there's not even a word for that atrocity. There really isn't. I mean, it, the closest we can come is genocide, but it's so much more than that. This person wiped out... As apparently an infinite, which is, oh god, the use of infinite. This drove me up the wall. 
If there's an infinite number of realities with Kang, believe it or not, there's an equally infinite number of, of realities without him because Kang is not destined. There's, an equal, there's going to be an equal number of realities out there dealing with all the various possibilities where Kang never exists. So what about those realities? Did they escape the purge? Did they not? Ugh. Moreover, if Kang's really worried about variations on himself, all he has to do is prevent himself from being born, which is so easy to do if you have the whole, if you have the totality of time in front of you, if you can monkey with anything. Ugh. But again, this bugs me because they're not, they're not even internally consistent because they're not actually playing by any set of established rules. And this drive, again, this drives me up the wall. Now, maybe that's just me, and so be it. I'm me. I just. Ugh. The it 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 kind of comes down to the fact that I I'm not sure using a multi-dimensional and infinitely multi-dimensional war as sort of the inciting incident for Kang is really the right way to go as far as this goes. It just it you're trying to make the scope too large and you're starting to encompass too many things that will never hold up under anything approximating scrutiny. I think a better way to do it is very limited. Maybe just like one. I met one version of me who had already done something terrible. I was able to stop him, and now in my paranoia about this happening again, I have become the most the most authoritarian the most authoritative dictator that could ever possibly be. And I created an entire bureaucratic extension of my will to ensure that nothing is ever out of lockstep with what needs to happen according to my vision. And somehow Loki arrives at the conclusion that this guy was right. And I'm, I'm just, I don't know, man, that, that doesn't sit well with me. Uh, but again, that might just be me. On the whole for the series, there are parts of this series that are a chore to get through. There's a lot that winds up rehashed. Uh, there's a lot of different sequences with Mobius and Renfield, ha Renfield, Renslayer having the same conversation. It seems over and over again. This movie is, despite what you might think about it, is shockingly unoriginal. And maybe you have to be someone like me to see all the references and where things are stolen from or inspired by if you want to be more charitable. And you probably should be. I'm, I am I need to be a more charitable person. It just... I'm loosely interested in what happens next. I'm more concerned about how the... I'm more concerned about how the screwing up of what the order that things have come out in might have messed with this and the degree to which a second season of Loki, which has already been confirmed, will ha might be is going to be able to keep continuity with the other stuff that's going on. Because this, the Disney Plus stuff is still ancillary. There's still thousands upon, there's still, you know, thousands or millions of people worldwide who are going to go see the movies when they come out that did not see this. And I, I do wonder how that's going to play when that happens. This series on its own merit felt overlong, uh, well acted for the most part, a couple of really nice technical achievements, and 
I didn't enjoy it personally, but I don't hold that against the series itself. I think it is mostly well-made. It is almost universally well-acted. I have issues with the writing, but I've kind of gone over those. And I probably wouldn't have watched it if I wasn't reviewing it, but that's true of a lot of the stuff I review. And I don't mind pushing myself to do that, because if all I watch is stuff that I want to watch to begin with, I'm never going to push myself outside of my comfort zone, so... Uh, on the whole, there's there are definite highs to this series, and if you haven't watched it, well, I just spoiled everything for you in this podcast, but if you think you'll like it, you probably will, and I suppose is the right way to phrase that. So, final thoughts on the series. Alexis, I'll start with you. Like I said, I really did enjoy the show. I enjoyed the acting, I enjoyed the story, I enjoyed the characters, and I really enjoyed how much it's getting me excited for the future of the MCU. I am just going crazy on the fact that it's going to take us a while before we get the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which I'm going to say I think is going to be the real big pinnacle linchpin of this story arc. But loved it. So glad we're getting a season two. And I have a convention this weekend and another convention next weekend, so... I am sure I will be seeing many, 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 many more variant cosplays. A potentially infinite number of them, even. Andrew? I would say, well, it's become the easiest cosplay in the world now. It because really, all you It need... really is. You just need horns. You need horns, and you need something green. Green shirt, green pants, green jacket, green scarf. Take you know, a... I, I, have... so, I hope someone shows up with the bicycle handlebars tape to their head oh, someone, did. <laughs> someone did i didn't get a picture of them but i saw them in the crowd nice. this is the guys this is the first time i'm celebrating my 10-year anniversary of honeysuckle rose creations in the spring and this is the first time that there was a cosplay that was more prominent than harley quinn <laughs> my god yeah i didn't think this was possible but it happened they were more Lokis than Harleys. Truly, the darkest timeline. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm not. Let it burn. Kind of a... All right, uh, Andrew, I think uh, I think you're up next. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, overall, I think, you know, there were definitely a few pacing issues on the series, but overall, I enjoyed... Uh, Enjoyed it. The cast was great. I think we we didn't probably actually name her during the podcast, but Sophia Sophia Di uh, Martino as Sylvie was fantastic. I hadn't really seen her or anything else, and and she's somebody we'll definitely keep an eye out for. Um, I mean, yeah, enjoyed it. Enjoyed the aesthetic. Enjoyed kind of the the quirkiness of it. I think we're going to be some seeing some definite differences once we get to season two. I'm going to make one call right now that I think season two might end with. Loki leading a variant army of Lokis against something or other, which I think could be a lot of fun. I'm also going to throw this out here as an idea to the unpaid intern who's watching. What I would seriously like to see is an episode of What If, where where basically Selby's timeline where she was the Loki for that version of the MCU. I imagine that ends with some really awkward Thor and Loki fanfic. Oh God, now you're right. Thor exists. I know it exists. I'm just saying they'd put it. It would have to be animated. Uh, well, I David. think. I think. Good. Sorry. Good. 
I was gonna say I think I think throwing Loki or Sylvie in there would create a different dynamic between you know when you look at at all of Loki's driving stuff it, it's his relationship with his parents or his adopted parents rather although at the end he does identify himself as as Odin's son but you know having a different uh, having a different relationship with Odin and a different uh, relationship with, with Frigo would probably change that character substantially, and it would be interesting to see how that would then influence her actions for the rest of the MCU. Yeah, fair enough. All right, David, final thoughts? Uh, well, first, speaking of unpaid interns, to the one that listened to my complaint that there was no Japanese subtitle option, thank you. Hey. This show actually did have Japanese subtitles, so hey, someone actually was listening, so thank you so much. Please, more of that. Um, yeah, like, uh, I, I tend to now view just the, speak of the Mr. Wizard stuff, I, I, I view, like, the MCU as just being in its own universe, like, it's, it's superhero physics, it's like, you know, you don't do a, a, a realistic physics analysis of Looney Tunes cartoons, because it's, it's in their own world, and, and that's kind of how I view all this stuff in terms of the, the MCU, it's like, okay, yeah, a lot of this stuff wouldn't happen physically in reality, but this is not physical reality. You know, um, so yeah, I I think I kind of summed up most of my points with what I said before. Just the show wasn't what I was expecting. It, that doesn't mean it was bad. Just uh, for what it was, I thought the the pacing could have been a bit faster. It, it I think it took a bit too long to get where it was going, and there wasn't like enough there was, of like interest. I feel like there was an episode worth of content they could have cut out of this. Like if you were to go episode by episode and trim down, you'd probably get about. A whole episode that could have been shaved. Yeah, like like WandaVision kind of took you right to the edge of please give me something to sink my teeth into, and then and then it did. Whereas Loki kind of took one more episode to get to that point, and I, I hope that's not a trend for how they structure these shows going forward. I don't want to have to wait a minimum of three episodes to kind of get into the meat of the show. Well, I, I understand well, that you usually moment... need one or two eps to set things up, but. At the moment, you've got what if, so they're just one episode self-contained stories. Yeah, yeah, true. I mean, I have to give them credit for at least doing a variety of different, different stuff. Like, you know, if you're complaining about the MCU getting too stale and remaking the same movie and over and over and over again, um, WandaVision, that's certainly not something that they've done before. Um, so yeah, like I, I didn't hate it, I didn't love it. I, I hope it goes to more interesting places after this, which it might. Um, so, yeah, like I, and unfortunately, I'm just kind of like, you know, to, to, to speak up for Mark, uh, who's unfortunately not here today, it was fine. What was it someone decided the acronym for fine was? <laughs> yeah, I haven't, haven't figured that out yet. But Oh, so I think it was, it was one of the uh, Chris's, who I think in, in our group chat said, uh, said, you know, I, I'm here to speak for Mark. It was fine. And Mark said, I never said it was fine. And then he actually responded with fine as an acronym for, I can't remember what it was. Oh, it was funny. I'll flick it up. All right. Well, on that note, that concludes our discussion of Loki. We will, when season two is released, assuming it is, and that's the indication at the moment, assuming that plan doesn't change, We'll be back for it. We will also have a review of What If at some point after that wraps up. Uh, the schedule at the moment is very much, as I mentioned, plastic. So 
Uh, we're, I'm not going to do too much for plugs on that. Let me have a quick look here. Let's load up properly. Um, bunch of, we're re-airing the Long Road to Ruin for Hellraiser that I was part of. We're going to... There's a few things coming up that... Jeez, I might wind up subbing in for a few of these now that I look at it. God. Well, if Mark did it for Jesse, we can do it for Mark. Yep. That's true. Uh, there's currently scheduled to be a TV party for the anime Odd Taxi that was going to be myself and Mark. That started life as a discussion of the anime Food Wars with myself, David, Sean Garmer, and Mark. And then plans changed. And then people fell out for a variety of reasons. And it wound up being Mark and me. And Mark said, okay, so I don't want to watch five seasons of television. You mentioned Odd Taxi. And I said, yes. If the Coen brothers and or Quentin Tarantino made an anime, it would be Odd Taxi. We can talk about that. So we'll see if Mark is available next Tuesday. If not, well, that'll just go unused, I imagine. Uh, currently scheduled, yeah, the uh, stuff for SummerSlam, 4K. You know, this is... We're going to see who winds up taking, you know, stepping up if Mark's not available for some of these. Because some of these are quite... Uh, some of these need to kind of come out, all things considered. Uh, oh, we are re-airing my old episode of Everyone Loves a Bad Guy for the Iron Man villains the cool. next week. So if you're interested in that, give it a listen. And then at the end of the month, a damn you Hollywood for Candyman. We should have a better feel for what's going on by the time we get to that point. So stay tuned oh. for updates, such as they are. And... Alexis, you have stuff to shill, please. Yes, Honeysuckle Rose Creations, where fashion meets fandom at the intersection of geek and chic. Like I said, I just wrapped up our time in Orlando for Megacon. It was a wonderful show. If you attended there and you stopped by our table, thank you. Of course, be sure to check out our Facebook and Instagram pages. We took pictures of all the cosplays that came by our table, and we're post we have posted all of them to Facebook. I'm working on posting all of them to Instagram because there's a lot of photos over four days, and there's a lot of hashtags that I need to work on. And yes, you can marvel at the massive amounts of Loki variants and alligator Loki cosplays, because there's a lot of them. Next, we will be attending Planet Comic Con in Kansas City this coming weekend. I have two days to completely remake about 100 keychains. May Kang have mercy on my soul. After which, we will be heading out west for Colorado Springs Comic Con. That's our first time attending it. Looking forward to it. Going to have a lot of fun. As always, our shops are fully stocked on Etsy and Handmade at Amazon. Uh, I should note that during this... Um, hectic time between all of these shows unfortunately uh we will not be able to do a lot of custom orders so if you have something specific in mind you might want to wait just a little bit at least until mid-september when i can have time to you know breathe when everything shuts down again well then i don't want to breathe <laughs> and of course follow us on facebook instagram and twitter Honeysuckle Rose Creations, the intersection of geek and chic. David. Uh, yeah, so at some point in the not-too-distant future, hopefully we'll finally release that Star Trek Kelvin retrospective. Uh, you know, other, other than that, uh, I think I'm scheduled to be on for most things Dune and Top Gun later in the year, but we'll uh, see how it goes. Hopefully things will be back to back on schedule by then. Well, at least Dune's getting the day-and-date treatment on HBO Max, so we should be able to see that just fine. 
Okay, it's going to be interesting to see how that all works out, given how Suicide Squad did. Like, we have, we have a whole second movie, you know, dependent on that first movie doing good, and I really hope it does. Uh, so do I. I like the director a lot, actually. And it's got a really good cast. All right, Andrew, take me home. Alrighty then. Uh, so currently I'm training at uh, Havoc and Esteem uh, Martial Arts here in Calgary, which I'm very happy to say is finally open in a new location, and I'm actually training with real live people again. That said, mm-hmm. they are still offering online classes um, for paying members. Uh, you can find them on all your major platforms, uh, Steam and Havoc Martial Arts, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, any of those items. Uh, wonderful, wonderful group of people to train with, wonderful coaches. If you're interested on the pro wrestling side of things, we're actually they're actually sharing their new space with Canadian Strong Style Wrestling uh, with the Canadian Strong Style Wrestling Academy. So that uh, that's available as an option I as well. S- I meant to ask you this. I saw the I saw the schedule that they had uh, posted because you shared it. That wouldn't be former TNA X Division champion Johnny Devine, would it? That would be indeed. Nice. Yeah, and he is a. Uh, as I found out, I didn't even realize this when when the announcement was made. He's actually a uh, a dungeon graduate. Yeah, he was. So one he trained was too hard. Yeah, he wasn't the last, but he was. Uh, I think like in that last group. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to meet Johnny yet, but uh, I think he's going to be coming out to to cross over with some of the the cash wrestling classes we do on Wednesday night. But uh, it's kind of cool because we've got a a pretty large uh, space for kind of your traditional kind of jujitsu style mats. And then we actually do have a full size wrestling ring in there as well, which is after my experience on Monday night is awesome to take bumps on. (laughs) One would certainly hope so, considering that's, you know, its entire design. Oh, yeah. So are you going to transition from the, you know, the legitimate martial arts more to the pro wrestling side of things? You're going to make a run at it at your age? I am going to pretty much stay just on the, uh, we'll call it the practical side of things. That's right. it. We are having a lot of fun because uh, our head, in, head instructor, Jay Cooper, is actually a longtime wrestling fan and, and has taken some wrestling himself. And he was actually kind of sh- crossing over and showing off a little bit on how they actually set up some of the spots and some of the bumps and, and things like that and how much, you know, really good pro wrestling is a collaborative art between the guys who are, who are performing it. If you want to know how badly that goes when they don't collaborate properly, <laughs> feel free to watch the undertaker and Goldberg from Saudi Arabia. Yeesh. I was about to say anything with Goldberg. <laughs> Pretty much. Poor Bobby Lashley. Poor, Ma- poor Bret Hart. <laughs> poor many people. <laughs> Many, many people. All right. As for myself, uh, I mentioned a few things on the network. You can find me covering professional wrestling a few days a week over on the Wrestling Zone of 411mania.com. I covered AEW's Dark Elevation event on Monday. MLW is still kind of MIA, but when they start releasing stuff, depending on where it is, I'll be able to cover that. And Friday, I will cover WWE SmackDown, which I tend to think might still be the best professional wrestling weekly television program all things considered and boy does it have problems though uh this coming saturday i will be covering ufc on espn 29 9 or 30 29 uh it is headlined by jared cannonier and calvin gaslam in a middleweight fight you can find my coverage for that in the mma zone of 411mania.com and if you want my thoughts previewing the card and talking news of the week 
in the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, available wherever you find your podcasting content. Look it up and have a, and give it a shot if you're interested. If you're not, well, fair enough. I not everything not everyone is a fan of everything. Very well aware of that. Okay, I think that's everything. So on that note, uh, I would just like to say it's easier for me to get out of here in record time than Mark is because I don't have to corral myself. Mark has to corral me. It's a lot. I, I feel bad for that man when he has to deal that. But in just about two hours, less than two hours runtime. Hell yeah, we're great. <laughs> Good job, everybody. So, for Alexis Haina, for Andrew Graham, and for David Wright, I'm Robert Winfrey, reminding you all to stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>